Welcome to Review of Systems, your podcast for discussion of primary care innovation, payment reform, health policy, and more. I'm David Rosenthal, a primary care physician in Connecticut, and I'm here with our co-hosts Thomas Kim, a family physician in Houston, and Audrey Provenzano, a PCP in Boston. Today we're discussing a paper published in the March 2017 issue of Health Affairs titled Los Angeles Safety Net Program E-Consult System Was Rapidly Adopted and Decreased Wait Times to See Specialists by Michael Barnett. Ativ Mahotra, and Hal Yee, Jr., and Paul Gibney at Los Angeles County Department of Health Services. And today, we're super lucky. We have the lead author, Michael Barnett, here with us for the show. Uh, Michael, you want to introduce yourself? Hi, um, I'm Michael Barnett. Um, I'm an assistant professor at the Harvard uh, Chan School of Public Health and a primary care physician at Brigham Women's Hospital and had the misfortune to be a residency uh, classmate with uh, Dave Rosenthal and... um, and, and the fortune of being a residency <laughs> classmate with Audrey. <laughs> thanks, thanks, Mike. <laughs> the jury is still out on Thomas. <laughs> so this paper was looking at an e-consult system that was started up in the Los Angeles Safety Net Network of Community Health Clinics in 2012. And they wanted to look at a couple of specific questions. So the first was, is an e-consult system sustainable? Because apparently a lot of the previous studies looking at e-consult systems had been just short term. And uh, they wanted to look at how the use of the e-consult system changed over time and look at patterns of variation. So they could guide improvement of quality and make sure that the referral system was consistent um, consistently used. But we should stop and define what an e-referral or e-consult system is for people who don't know. And and I guess actually, even before we jump into what the definition of e-consult is, I'm just curious, did, why did you do this paper real quick? Like what was the, what was the reason for when you dove into it? um, What initially drew you to it? You know, I've been interested in the primary care, specialty care interface for a long time. And um, my interest in this particular innovation is that I think it's really an underappreciated um, uh, shift from the paradigm of trying to deliver all medical care through an office visit, which I think is one of the kind of least efficient and, and most underappreciated inefficiencies in our system is that we view all medical care as needing to be a patient and doctors being face to face. And I think um, you know everyone on this podcast understands that that's usually not the case. And e-consult really releases the um, um, releases specialists from the need to only have their expertise um, partitioned out into you know eight hours a day that they actually have clinic sessions. And I think that actually really has the power to transform um, not just safety net systems but actually specialty care in general. Well, that makes sense. And I guess you know to answer Audrey's question about what is an e-consult, it's the instead of a referral. Uh, a face-to-face referral from a primary care physician to a specialist, this is essentially uh, the ability through an electronic means to communicate with a specialist uh, and to get feedback, whether it's a it's sort of a formalized curbside consult, and to get that information, sort of convey what the clinical question is from PCP to specialist. And then there's a there can be an ongoing dialogue, which I thought we'll get to, obviously, as we talk through the paper. Um, but it doesn't require just saying, go see a specialist and see this specialist. It's having a conversation between PCP and specialist. And one of the other benefits I was struck by, they talked about in the introduction, I guess in this network of clinics and hospitals, there are patients waiting up to nine months to see a gastroenterologist or a urologist specifically. 
which is a really long time, but um, this would allow specialists to kind of triage patients who they thought really needed to be seen right away and make suggestions of testing that would be helpful to be done if they did need to be seen by the specialist in the clinic before that visit took place, just make everything a lot more efficient. And um, the, they wanted to be able to have responses from the specialist back to the PCP within hours or days, which is fantastic in terms of kind of reducing a primary care doctor's worrying about a patient, really not being stuck, not knowing what to do, which I know I've been in that position and many people have. So, From my standpoint, I think that um, whether I send my patient to a specialist or not is often a question. It's often a, a social question and not really a clinical question, right? So when I was practicing in a community outside of Boston and somebody didn't have insurance and I need to send somebody down to the, to the Boston Medical Center for their care, this became a very big issue. Determining how much risk you want to take in terms of whether you need, you know, extra help, whether you need some reassurance, whether you, it, it's nice to just have somebody at your fingertips or available to, um, uh, to answer that question for you. So I, I actually just came back from a site visit to LA last week where we um, toured a bunch of sites there to kind of just learn a bit more about the front lines and Department of Health Services. And, you know, getting access to specialty care, it's it's really one of the major challenges of providing primary care in urban underserved community health centers, uh, particularly the federally qualified health centers. And I think I, I didn't appreciate, Audrey, you make, you know, you, you read that point about the nine-month waiting time. Um, you know, they told us it could frequently be longer. It could be a year. Hmm. And um, we don't have we don't have the uh, strong data to back this up, though that may change um, in the near future. But the irony, the great irony of of having nine or twelve month waiting times, particularly in this population, is that it meant that specialists were sitting in their office offices with forty to fifty percent no show rates. Yeah, yeah. Because no one can possibly remember or plan in advance for a, a visit twelve months from now. Right. Or they've turned and, off Medicaid or moved or who knows what. There's a million reasons. Either mm. they just simply forget because they didn't write it down, or it, or the problem got better, or the or it got worse. Yeah, or it got worse. There's a million reasons why it could not happen, and that's that's really I think one of the great tragedies of of how this of, of the dysfunction of the safety net that the the, the difficulty of uh, a specialist shortage means that fewer patients get seen, but also the specialist, your most precious resource, are also being wasted. I, I, I would just like to say I don't think specialists are the most precious resource in the healthcare system, but I'll go well, on the, with well, everything else you well, said. Well, the, the, the highest, the highest <laughs> paid, the highest paid. Well, that's for sure. I, maybe, maybe, yeah. maybe not. Sorry, most. Pre, I mean, I'm not right. trying to I, rank. I'm not trying to rank people's people. <laughs> but look, but the thing Come is, like, now. you know, if somebody needs a pacemaker, you really need that cardiologist, you know. To right. make you know to make the decision, or you really need that the gastroenterologist to do colonoscopy. There's only so much a primary care doctor can do, and you know a patient just really needs to see that person. And if that person's actually sitting in their office, literally not doing anything half the time because patients aren't showing up, it's just it's it's a tragic waste yes. in a system that needs yeah. every single ounce of bang for for the dollars it's investing in specialist physicians. Yeah, yeah, that's to totally true. So let's go through the methods briefly. Sure. It was a retrospective observational analysis. Like I said, they used data from 2012 to 2015. And there was kind of two samples that they looked at. First was a universe sample. So that was like almost 400,000 consult requests. I think from, Michael, am I right, from the whole time from 2012 to mm -hmm. 2015? Um, and that yeah. was mostly looking at the rate of adoption and use across the whole um, LA County healthcare system. 
And then they looked at a smaller sample, the DHS-employed sample. I didn't follow all the details of exactly what the DHS-employed specialist meant, but that was about 60,000 e-consult requests, and um, it was limited to um, PCPs who started using it before January 2014 to look at a group of providers who used it for a longer period of time to kind of look at practice uh, patterns and use patterns and things like that. So they looked at capacity for urgent access, time to response um, after they filed the request, the number of exchanges between the PCP and the specialist, and kind of what happened. You know, did the patient end up seeing the specialist or was it resolved without without a specialty visit? And Michael, I guess the question is sort of, can you explain a little bit sort of the thinking about why you did that split sample like that? Yeah, so... Or the two uh, separate two separate study samples, right? So, 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 the, so the idea is um, basically e-consult was growing so quickly that new specialties and new primary care clinics were coming online um, constantly. And so the idea is basically to really measure the sustainable long-term impact of um, e-consults over time. You need to pick a stable group of primary care doctors and a stable group of specialties. And I think it, it's, it's not a particularly um, um, sophisticated you know, methodological insight, but actually it's really what um, enables us to make any claims about the system because we basically take the same sample, you know, the same group of, you know, 600 PCPs and the uh, 12 or 13 or so specialties that were online in e-consult before 2014, and we just track that stable group over time. How did these 600 PCPs use e-consult for these 12 high-volume specialties over a two-year period? Because hmm. if you just try to track the whole system, it just looks like everything is constantly changing, yeah. and you can't really make any conclusions except that more and more e-consults are happening, which is gotcha. interesting, but it doesn't tell you the whole story. Right. Gotcha. Thomas, you want to take us through the results? Sure. So um, basically, this uh, program was rolled out over 250 sites uh, over the course of four years from 2012 to 2015. And the number of e-consults per month pretty much uh, grew very rapidly. Uh, there were 86 uh, in the third quarter of 2012. And by the last quarter of 2015, there were uh, 12,000. So the median time to a first response from a uh, consultant, uh, when you put in the e-consult request, uh, was less than 24 hours. And about overall, over the course of the entire program, about a quarter of the visits resolved without a visit. Uh, this did decrease over time so that between the, I think, beginning of 2015 and the end of 2015, uh, it was down to about 20% uh, of visits uh, could be managed without um, a visit being scheduled with a specialist. Uh, overall, it turns out that the um, including the initial uh, request for consultation and the um, initial response back, there, uh, including those two exchanges, there were about three and a half exchanges per e-consult request. So that just means and, like the PCP and the specialist would email back and forth about three and a half times on average? Right. Okay. And then the wait time did decrease. It went down 17%. Uh, the baseline was pretty high to begin with at 63 days. Uh, it was still left at 52 days at the end of the program or at the end of this, this, uh, the study time period. Uh, but it, this was done without any increase in the staffing in the specialist um, offices. So uh, presumably this is a decrease in, in the backlog of, of uh, patients needing consultations. And interestingly, uh, without paying them, <laughs> which I felt was interesting. Not pay, uh, correct. Is that, that's correct. correct. So the specialists were not paid for doing these e-consults. Right. Yep. Yep. right. So 
in addition, uh, I think the, the, the final figures kind of show the amount of variation that uh, was seen within each specialty and across specialties in terms of uh, how uh, specialists approached different consultations. So um, presumably there's some different, uh, uh, there's some variation in, in types of consults that questions are coming their way, but still uh, among endocrinologists, there was, a, you know, anywhere between five and 93% uh, of those, uh, initially consults ended up needing a visit or sorry, didn't need a visit. So, uh, between consultants and endocrinology, it was a pretty, um, uh, variable, result as to whether your patient was uh, ultimately going to need a visit with them or not. But on the flip side, uh, PCPs also had a wide variation of um, the con- the consults that they requested. And so um, the <clears throat> the amount, sorry, the, the rate of requests that didn't need a visit could vary between 11% for one PCP and 33% for another PCP, which kind of shows the the, compl- the complexity of the questions being asked mm-hmm. uh, may have been also um, uh, very, very different. Mm-hmm. And then the final uh, major result um, is that uh, they, they also looked at uh, per consultant, uh, how much they were engaged with the PCP who asked the, asked the question. Uh, so they monitored uh, how many exchanges or, um, happened per uh, consultant and uh, rated them on an engagement index. And so if you had three or more three or more uh, exchanges, that presu- presumes that um, there was initial question, initial response, and then the conversation at least went on, went on past that. So if you had a greater engagement index uh, that was uh, moderately correlated with having a higher rate of request not needing a visit, meaning uh, presumably that conversation helped resolve an issue that uh, didn't result or didn't have to result in the consultant saying, oh, I should see this patient. Just, you know, just one thing is, you know, when you were saying the, um, it, it was e-consults that were resolved without a visit. I think, I think um, before you said something about visits um, resolved without a visit. So just making it clear, these e-consult requests resolved without a visit are just electronic requests from PCPs. Um, they're not, um, you know, they're not any kind of in-face inter- in, uh, face-to-face interaction between primary care and specialist physicians. Right. Oh, right. We can kind of move on and talk a little bit more in sort of the discussion about this and, like, you know, why this, why we think this is important and how we think this is going to change, you know, primary care and thinking about sort of not just primary care but sort of its relationship to specialty, e-consults in general. And Michael, I, I would, I would caveat since you're on this call, we'll say I think this is important. <laughs> um, I have a bias in the sense that I'm currently at the VA and we've been doing e-consult for at least 10 years. Um, clearly, we have a slightly different incentive, but we have a similar sort of challenge where our specialists are certainly some of the highest paid resources, and we want to maximize efficiency. Um, we also have the integrated system to be able to track all of this. So we've been doing e-consults for a long time. Um, and, um, you know, I think that this, as you point out, is one of those sort of the largest studies of e-consult that I think exists. Um, I'm, I'm not sure if there's any others. And you had a significant amount of encounters uh, or of, of e-consults sort of documented yeah. and sort of and sort of the lay of the land in terms of um, uh, of quantifying and sort of qualifying which specialties there are, how what the impact is. Um, you know, I think it's it's great. Um, I don't think we have this anywhere else in the literature. Well, I guess I would say I would I would put in one caveat to that about the VA system, which is that I think last year there was a paper in the American Journal of Managed Care that did 
kind of a similarly broad look at um, e-consults and the whole VA system, um, which, of course, is enormous. Um, you know, the right. L.A. Department of Health Services is also quite big, but the VA, you know, dwarfs almost any other health system. And as you said, the VA has been doing e-consults for a very long time. So the key thing about the VA is that e-consults are not required. It's basically an, an option for PCPs to get curbside input from a specialist. And the major, major shift in... So the way that DHS, the Department of Health Services in LA, implemented e-consults, there are actually a number of um, important innovations that came along with that. The way they do e-consults, it's actually mandatory that a specialist reviewer triages every e-consult. So you yeah. actually can't have a specialist referral without a reviewer. Um, so what, what am I to make of the, the increase in volume of uh, of uh, these e-consults? If you know, primary care doctors are, are mandated to do it, then is that meaningful to, to see an increase in e-consults happening over that period of time? Yeah. The context that we need to set up here is that D so L.A. County, um, which is the population that DHS serves, is the largest county in the U.S. I think it's uh, maybe seven and a half million people. So it's larger mm -hmm. than the state of Massachusetts. Yep. Okay. And by the end of 2015, there were over 3,000 PCPs using e-consoles. So you can't just flip a switch and suddenly have 3,000 PCPs using the system. Mm. Okay. Okay. It's guerrilla warfare for the <laughs> leadership to go yeah. practice by practice and train every single PCP on how to use this why it's important, um, wow. what the proper etiquette is, um, how to actually use the software, and yep. you need to go practice by practice. And for the non-DHS providers that are contracting with DHS to use the system, they're under no obligation to adopt the system, right? They can choose not to do it. Mm. Sure, I can tell you that in Harris County, uh, we started the consults for endocrinology, and uh, I didn't really even think about using it until maybe eight months <laughs> into its implementation so right and so so that's why that's why that growth is actually pretty important because um what it means is that pcps really did use it um yeah. once they yeah. started to actually get to know it and so um even though i can see where you're coming from um you know when i say well these are required so why is the growth that that interesting really it's, it's also quite possible that an effort this ambitious and widespread could have easily just failed and stalled right. out. Yeah. That's right. And, and, and I'd say as a user, an avid user of e-consults in the VA, um, there is tremendous, I think this, this highlights exactly sort of my experience, that there's tremendous demand side from the PCBs. It's great. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it is so wonderful to be able to answer questions within 24 to 48 hours and get and have that sort of formalized feedback that I can help my patients get answers much faster. And then, and then honestly, it's also sets up the relationships with me and the specialists that we're having a conversation. And that, um, like you said, in positive in the paper in twofold, one is it is they will get patients that really need the, the urgency uh, of a face to face visit, they'll get them in faster, number one. And number two, it empowers me, it teaches me about what I should be doing. And then like, oh, I now know how to manage these things, because this is what you're going to do. So I just do that you know, so then I've sort of uh, I reserve those consults for, you know, the face to face for much more sophisticated and complex care. So it is it is like in many ways uh, uh, a disruptive innovation in that it empowers the PCP, who's the user, to get information and also empowers them with knowledge from the specialists. One thing that really stuck out to me about this is that it's kind of a different piece of software, like it's not integrated into the EMR 
because, you know, it's from this, it's a whole network of clinics, hundreds of clinics. So obviously they can't all be networked through this, the same EMR, but it just means that, you know, I'm envisioning myself as a PCP at one of these FQHCs after a long day of clinic, sitting down, finishing my notes, and then doing more data entry of my questions to my specialist for the e-consults that I want to do from that day of clinic. And that's a lot more typing, a lot more clicks, and, you know, just adding to all of the administrative stuff that PCPs have to do that is not compensated. Um, and I, I was frustrated by that, but nothing. So do, really do you know, done. actually, so, so I wonder in the DHS system there, do they, is it a separate system? Is it a separate EM, like a uh, window outside of their EMR for the consultation for the e-consult? Yeah. So, so it is, so it is, we, we have another yeah. project that's really exploring exactly what Audrey's talking about. Yeah. I, I guess, Audrey, what I'd say to your um, impression is that I think um, many PCPs share exactly the same experience that you do within the DHS system that, you know, it is another, um, it's another thing for PCPs to do. And um, um, it does add time to the day. And so I think it, it, it brings up this issue that when you have a delivery system innovation, it's very hard for delivery system innovation to kind of hit this like quadruple or quintuple aim mm -hmm. of improving patient care, uh, potentially lowering costs or at least keeping utilization even, having better patient satisfaction, but also reducing provider burnout and being more time efficient. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, I never heard, I've never heard the quintuple it, <laughs> efficiency. Well, I just, I, I've heard the quadruple, but I just love it. I love it. I just <laughs> made it up. So, 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 but here's 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 a couple here's here's a couple of counterpoints I I I give to your to your perspective um, um, that I think you put very well, Audrey. Which is um, so one is that imagine that before this system, the alternative to spending the extra time and putting in an e-consult um, for your patient was that you put you basically filled out a piece of paper for your patient that they needed a referral. You handed it to a care coordinator in your clinic, and then the phrase that everyone used beyond that point was black hole. Yeah. That, <laughs> the, the, the referral wow. just disappeared wow. into a black hole. Yeah. Right. And so it did take less time. And it's because, as one of my collaborators said, basically both the PCP and specialist at that point have plausible deniability yes. that they did everything they could. Mm -hmm. Right. And so the fact that it took less time was really hiding the fact that, you know, there, we had an incredibly dysfunctional system. Of course, everyone knows it. But now with the e-consult system, we're actually saying, oh, look, now that we actually have a new system to engage specialists, we actually have to do this work that was actually just disappearing into no-shows. Right. Right. That's right. That's right. But it, it brings accountability to it, right? There was right. never really and, and accountability so, of the referral network. So you, you could and, and not so, so, track it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the model that we're left with is, is that, you know, PCPs are still expected to see 25 or more patients a day. Mm -hmm. But now, how are you supposed to manage all these referrals yep. when you're generating five to 10 new referrals a day? So, so just, you know, it's interesting, right? It's like hearing this and it's like, it's so different within the VA. Yeah. <laughs> I keep coming back yeah. to it, right? Because like my e-consults are, are all within the EMR system. Everybody's right. The specialists see have the same EMR system. So I'll often say, you know, 56 year old with this vascular issue, see my note from this date. Mm -hmm. My question, my question is this, right? right. They're really right. short and it's back and forth, but you know, in, and in some ways in a, in a similar or a universal EMR system, 
it just makes total sense. And it's also from an accountability standpoint, there's usually date stamps about sort mm-hmm. of when it was submitted, when it was received, when it was replied to. There's there's just all of the world of accountability that makes sense in a healthcare system. And what I think is you're, you're reflecting on, both of you are saying is like, if you're practicing in a place that's not a system of care, mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of kinks, right? And it seems like a lot of work because um, the system is not in place. That said, for the DHS, which was the safety net program, which is a large system, they're at least building in accountability into that system. Um, it does seem like extra work, but at least now that they, they can start to measure it, right? Yeah. They can start to say, how are we doing? Can we improve upon this? And then you can start to ask for resources potentially and say, look, this is how much work this generates. We have so many consults. We need a case manager to be able to enter these consults and manage the, that inbox, right? So for me, having practiced in the community for a long period and to enter into this type of closed integrated network uh, in the Harris Health system here, uh, I, I, I definitely see the value in it to, to see, uh, you know, get all the closed loop feedback in terms of what happened to my referrals, be able to, you know, yesterday I just... Um, I tried to make a dermatology referral and it was going to be four months away. So I just basically you know, messaged the dermatologist I know and said, I'm a little worried about this guy. Can you see him sooner? And now the patient has an appointment next week. Right. And um, so I, I, I totally see the value in it. I'm going to just take a moment to kind of bemoan the fact that, you know, um, part of this is we're improving communication between specialists and primary care doctors that I think has been broken down over the course of the past, you know, some number of decades as more and more hospitalists, you know, enter the uh, enter the the workforce and primary care doctors more and more got cut off from their specialist colleagues where in the past, in past settings where I worked, I knew my specialist in my area, I could just text them and like have a relationship with them and know that they didn't think that my consults were stupid or that I was stupid <laughs> for asking that question. You know, there was a actual relationship that existed and, and I think that the C-Consult is rebuilding that, which is nice, but I, I just want to take a moment to like relive the days where I could just you know, text the ophthalmologist nearby and say, I got this guy with this, uh, you know, corneal abrasion, I think. What do you think I should do? When do you want to see him? You know, yeah, that's, the, not, that's, not, that's not a system of practice. I want to, you know, be clear. Yeah, that, right. that wasn't great. Right. Yeah, those, those aren't great lean methodologies. Right. And and, you know, those personal relationships matter. And I get it. The, the challenge is, is that doesn't work, as you say, right, from a system standpoint. Plus, you, you know, that the happenstance that you're texting the right ophthalmologist, right, or, you know, the, you might want to text somebody else who said, you know, if you formulate the question, they'd say, you know what, you really need this retina special, right? There's actually, there are benefits to different layers of systems rather than necessarily the personal relationships. Um, yeah. that, that said, I mean, I get it, and I understand as a PCP, it would be very nice to have relationships with everybody that you could get on the phone and you could curbside everybody because you know everybody. The reality is in the in the way that we're practicing now, I just don't see that as a realistic mechanism for care. Plus, those old school ways are probably not the most efficient and they don't work for everybody. They certainly work, maybe work for a certain demographic uh, and a certain, or, you know, a certain payer, but it doesn't work for everybody. Yeah, I was very interested in one part of the study that I was interested to see whether there was learning that happened between the primary care doctor and, and the specialist, because I think that's uh, an area where, for me, certainly I need to send somebody to a specialist to ha- if they have some sort of rare rheumatological disorder. But there are many things where I'm, you know, just at the edges of my knowledge and I need to bounce something off somebody and then the next time I won't have to. And uh, I was curious uh, what your guys' thoughts on whether that was happening or not. 
based yeah. off the data. So, I mean, I think with the data we have, it's hard to conclude, you know, we, we can't necessarily conclude anything dramatic, except that the decrease in the rate of um, e-consults resolved without visit could be consistent with the idea that PCPs are increasingly learning how to structure and send the right consults that actually, you know, need to be seen by specialists as opposed to just kind of going back and forth with them. And I think in our conversations with DHS providers, um, they all kind of vigorously nod that like that is definitely something that happens, um, though that certainly is not proof. Um, it could also be consistent with the idea of specialist reviewers getting crabby over time and just resolving these things um, more frequently. <laughs> yeah, so sure. nobody, no, nobody seems to think that that's really the case. I think you know they, they really are trying to be a learning health system and kind of constantly improving the quality of specialist review over time. And so um, I'm optimistic that you know this is really more consistent with the PCP learning effect. Though I also want to be clear that I can't necessarily conclude that from the data that we have. Sure. That's right. Um, I actually also think like exhibit three where you're actually like breaking it down by specialist kind of like highlighted to me that there probably is some differences. Just like the fact that that the more of the medicine subspecialties, right, for are are able to close out, you know, resolve without a visit to specialists. They're more likely to teach the medicine folks or the PCPs like just do these, yeah. you know, the hemonc, neurology, cardiology, room, endocrine, nephrology, right? It's like just order these labs, do these tests, right? The I'm talk. really surprised by neurology. I feel like that's a very physical exam sensitive specialty but oh okay. no i get a lot of neurologists that are just like order mri and order b12 folate tsh rpr it's like well, but, i could, but it's, I could but stamp it's, that it's all across it's all across the map guys i mean just, yeah i know you're you know, right just, just think of all the different personalities i mean you have sure. a yeah. you have a person like the famous marty samuels at, at brigham and women's who's really you know one of these classic old school charismatic you know grand old neurologists who's really you know deifies the physical the neurologic physical exam Right. Um, and so he's the kind of guy that if he were doing e-consults, he'd want to see them in the office. That's right. So he could do his physical exam. That's um, true. Whereas, you know, I could draw maybe another archetype of maybe a younger neurologist who's maybe kind of a, a little bit more grounded and practical and just sort of maybe relies a little bit more on imaging, trying to stick more with established guidelines, getting imaging when you need, and just kind of going back and forth. And you see in Exhibit 3 within neurology a range of resolved referrals from 60% down to, you know, 15%, yeah. right? So, yeah. so, so personality is, is a major factor there. Uh, I'm curious, when, when you do your yeah. site visits, do you, I imagine doing something like this has, you know, has some trade-offs. So uh, for me, I was a little curious, were there specialists who said, you know what, like, I'm, I feel like I'm taking on more liability in some sense, uh, some sense to be able to try and diagnose and manage without having, you know, physically seen and examined this patient. Like, was there a sense that people were asking for more tests than needed because they were asked, they were trying to take care of patients without seeing them? Uh, I'm just wondering anecdotally if you have any sense of um, what the specialist experience was with uh, e-consults is. I've only talked with a handful of reviewers. Um, you know, I think the reviewers I've talked to, they really see themselves as educators. You know, I don't think they, I think a lot of them don't necessarily view their role as being um, defensive or trying to cover their butts. Mm -hmm. It's really um, to try to help educate the PCPs. And of course, there are people who I think are maybe not quite so um, generous and understanding. Um, and I, I haven't necessarily chatted that much with those folks. I think that, you know, what DHS exemplifies is a system where they really do try to handpick specialists for the ones who are willing to see themselves in a different role than usual. 
And I think that's one thing that I want to point out with the e-consult system is that part of what makes me excited about this is it, it really evolves the idea of specialty care to, I think, what is a much more system-centered, patient-centered role, which is that you know, the specialists who are doing these reviews, you know, some of them are doing dozens of reviews a day, and I think it really is an enormous extension of their expertise across a patient population of many, many thousands mm-hmm. to be able to um, answer kind of more or less in real time queries from PCPs and remotely manage through PCPs clinical expertise a variety of specialty complaints that they wouldn't possibly have the capacity to see in their office. Because yeah. specialists also, their time is wasted when yeah. you know you send somebody to a neurologist for what is a standard tension headache or standard migraine where you haven't even tried first line prophylaxis or treatment. It's, yeah. it's, it's not using them to the top of their license. Whereas they're much, much eas- more easily able to extend their reach through um, e-consults. I mean, my yeah. takeaway from that point is that you, you do need to pick specialists who and be in a system where uh, they're not overly concerned by their uh, patient volume or their RVUs from how many visits they do, and and presumably these these um, uh, um, reviewers and specialists are, are salaried, and um, they are. I think that that matters. I mean, I think that's why the e-consult system was able to take hold in DHS and why it will be a very long time before a required e-consult system takes hold in a more traditional mm-hmm. healthcare system like mm-hmm. Partners Healthcare, mm-hmm. um, because the fee-for-service system means that specialists just aren't incentivized to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think as, as a researcher and someone who thinks more kind of the system and policy level, to me, this seems like a much smarter, more efficient way to deliver sure. specialty care, even though it it's antithetical to the current business model of, of private of private insurance dominant healthcare. Yeah, no, that's a good that's a good point. And I think uh, we, I mean I feel the same way at the VA. Right? There's a there's a certain sort of personality, and obviously the specialists are, are salaried that they can do that as a system, right? And it sort of um, it uh, attracts a certain person who's willing to do that and think system level. Uh, and I think it, it works. And, and actually, you know, so one point that I wanted to just point out on this paper that I think is really fascinating is in the appendix, Exhibit 1. I can't, because I work at the VA, I have to sort of talk a little bit about wait times. <laughs> um, so just because I think there's just so much um, challenging uh, media presence and information about the VA in terms of sort of these wait times. So just recently, for example, about a month ago, there was an OIG report and got a lot of press that, you know, there was challenges that uh, the wait time that the VA, the third, you know, greater than 30 days wait time was, you know, 36 percent overall, you know, greater than 16 percent of people, at least in mental health, couldn't get an appointment within 30 days. And I just want to point out some of the numbers here that you had in in Exhibit 1, which I think highlights a really interesting thing to look at this data and and actually be able to quantify this data, which I haven't seen before in in different sectors um, outside of the VA, which is that, like, percentages of appointments within 30 days um, is only, like, 30 (laughs) percent. So that means, like, 70 percent of the people are waiting longer than 30 days, right? Yeah. in this uh, in this system, as opposed to like the, the inverse, right? That we get a lot of bad press about. But but I don't know. My question to you, Michael, is that like, is this data right, which was actually being able to get the time to um, to to appointment time, is that anywhere else that we've seen, or is this like the no. f- the first time you've seen this? No, I don't think. Well, I mean, I think there's there are plenty of studies out there about long waiting times for Medicaid patients with secret shopper studies and stuff like that. 
Dan Polsky at University of Pennsylvania has been doing a lot of work um, with the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, looking at secret uh, shopper studies in markets across the country to look at waiting times hmm. for Medicaid versus other patients. But and this is full. This is full capture, though. This is full. I mean, of yeah, a system. Yeah. Well, that's 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 true. So no, I mean, I, I do I do think I do think this is um, um, pretty unique data. And, um, you know, I, I'd point out, you know, given all the controversy around the VA, where's the outrage before e-consults that Medicaid patients in L.A. County and across the country could need to wait a year to see a rheumatologist? Mm-hmm. You know, right. uh, you know where's, where is the outrage? You know, I heard stories that there's an FQHC that I went to where they said, um, you know, they would just could not they basically couldn't get cardiology appointments within, you know, in less than nine to 12 months. And they eventually just basically visited the cardiology site where they refer in one of the county hospitals and found this guy and said, hey, you know, like, how can we reach you? Like, we just need to be able to contact you more easily. And he said, well, look, let me show you this. And he went over to a file cabinet and he opens this file cabinet that is basically, you know, a four foot long stack of papers that are just the referrals that haven't even been processed yet for that (laughs) Oh my oh. gosh. Okay. And it's a room of file cabinets. Oh. In DHS, they found hundreds of thousands of referrals oh. that were simply sheets of paper that had just, no one had ever gotten to them. Oh, you know, oh man. Where, where's, where's the, you know, where was the outrage for that? Right. I think that, yeah. So, so this is, this is part of, I think this is part of what I've been learning as a, as, as, as part of the process of working through this project is that, um, it's easy to get used to. It's easy to get used to a new normal, and yep. within the e-consult system, there is a new burden of time and expectation put on PCPs, uh, which was not there before. And PCPs bear an enormous burden on our backs of trying to take care of everything. Um, on the other hand, this is basically existing in a world where, prior to f- holding this burden, we basically just pretended that specialty care almost never happened because it was so hard to get it. Yeah. Um, to me, it's just such a profound injustice mm-hmm. um, that I think this e-consult system is basically, you know, squeezing more juice out of what is actually a fairly robust specialty workforce they have access to and making it, extending it a lot. But as Dave points out, you still have what would be seen as um, scandalous wait times in the VA within the system, but they view it as a, as a success. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. yeah. Now, now, they also view it as we have a lot more work to do, yeah. um, to be fair. One other point that I will make is that um, that my co-author Paul loves to um, uh, make sure we we don't forget is that wait time is really a fairly imperfect proxy um, mm-hmm. for um, um, actual quality of specialty care because when you have an e-consult system, uh, specialists are actually triaging the appointments as well, yeah. and so the metric you really care about is percentage of patients that were booked in the desired time frame. Mm-hmm. So the idea mm-hmm. is that if someone just needs a routine um, opth- opto referral for diabetic retinopathy, it's fine if they get seen in four months or five months. It's not a big right. deal. Right. And so if they get booked at that time, that's basically viewed as, as, a, as a success. The specialist was able to book that patient five months from now, no big deal. Um, but that could look, that could make your wait time numbers look worse. Right. And so I think that's, that's just an important um, perspective to have also that as health systems get more sophisticated with this kind of triaging of referrals, that we also need to become more sophisticated with how we view um, adequate specialty access. 
Yeah, that's a good point. And I think the granularity about the about the referral, right? Is it urgent? Is it stat? Is it, you know, <laughs> is it routine? And sort of those those wait times, right? Those are important things that we'll get better data about as as it gets as the technology matures, right? And as the systems mature yeah. a little bit. Um, Mike, Michael, are you aware of any studies that uh, have uh, figured out how to quantify or quantify that in terms of which diagnoses need which timeline for um, visits, or is that something that's still yet not yet not not really clearly studied? Um, I guess it's it's not clear to me that it, the question is that you could answer the question quite that simply because I think you know there are. Um, you know, many, you know, obviously there are diagnoses that are pretty urgent, but then there's a large number of diagnoses where the urgency depends a lot on the clinical scenario. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you don't know, and the PCP doesn't know how urgent yeah. it is. They, they may have the wrong diagnosis, right? right. Um, when right. they're putting it in, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so yeah. I think, um, you know, I, I think that's part of, I think that's part of, that's the part of medicine that I think is going to be hard to replace with machine learning algorithms or, or computer, you know, or automation. I mean, I think that's really the heart of clinical judgment is how sick is this person and when do they need to be seen? Sure. And I think that's the kind of judgment that we are constantly refining over our careers um, and why e-consult is really a clinician to clinician um, kind of um, system. It's not, it's not something that really involves patients or staff in a significant way. I think really used to its full capacity, it's really physicians kind of talking with each other, hopefully at the top of their license. Sure. Yeah. Well, this is great. Is good? No, for me, uh, this was a very interesting paper. I think yeah. that uh, I got a lot of it. Uh, certainly having seen things from a, a well-integrated system and, and from seeing it from outside as well, I think um, uh, thinking about this as everyone wanting to practice at the top of their license, uh, really improving communication between specialist and, and primary care um, uh, for, for better learning. And um, yeah, it was, of course, sad to see that, uh, well, not sad, but it's uh, a reality that the wait times are high. But those are my key takeaways from, from the paper. Yeah. My overall impression is that I'm just really impressed that you're able to get this data, number mm-hmm. one. Number two, that they were, they were um, willing to do this and that they were able to brute, brute force this in their system. I think it's pretty impressive. Um, and that you've sort of articulated and gone into the data and really teased out some of the really critical issues around e-consult. Um, and certainly also about just sort of that communication between PCP and specialists that uh, I really haven't seen to this degree, you know, articulated in the literature. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much for listening to our journal club. What do you think? All, uh, what do you all think about e-consults? Do you use them? What has your experience been? Are you a specialist who's receiving them? Have you found them helpful in triaging patients? We would love to hear from you. Tweet us your thoughts about e-referrals at ROS Podcast. Please check out our website for links to the paper we discussed at www.rospod.org. Drop us a line at contact.rospod.org or send us feedback and suggestions for future shows and journal clubs. I'm Thomas Kim, signing off for David Rosenthal and Audrey Provenzano. A huge thank you to Michael Barnett for joining us tonight. It was really great to have you here. Thank you very much. And I love the name of your podcast, too. Awesome.